Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. LinkedIn presents... For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Nate Burke. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Exonius, a cybersecurity solution provider. On the show today, we talk about his path to becoming the CMO at Axonius. This is his fifth startup, his third in cybersecurity. And we talk about his approach to cybersecurity marketing and marketing to one of the, I would say, most skeptical audiences ever, which is cybersecurity professionals, and how he's doing it differently from the competition and the approach he's taken with collaborators with Simone Biles, yes, the Olympian and why she's attached to Axonius, as well as Amy Bream, CrossFit athlete who's overcoming her own adaptations in life. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and new approach, if you will, to bringing humanity to technology marketing with Nate Burke. Nate, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Axonius and a lot of things to do with cybersecurity. But before we do that, I have to have you tell me about this tattoo story. Yeah, I love telling the story. And if you have the misfortune of sitting next to me on a plane between (laughs) now and the day I can't be on a plane anymore, you'll probably hear the story or some version of it. So here goes. 
I don't know how far back to go, but I think I'll give a little bit of context. So RSA is the biggest conference in cybersecurity. And every year, if you're in cybersecurity and you're one of like between 30 and 40,000 people, you will go to the show and see your friends that you haven't seen all year. And this one year in particular, we had a little party. It was very small in our suite for mostly friends and customers and investors, that kind of thing. And very important to the story, I decided on this year, I would drink no alcohol at RSA. I <laughs> promise that'll come back in the end. So this year at RSA, no alcohol whatsoever. And our SVP of sales just out of nowhere turns to me and he said, once we hit a certain revenue level, I'm going to get an Exonius tattoo. And this was out of nowhere. There was no pretext for this, nothing whatsoever. And I looked at him and I said, well, if you do, I have to. I mean, this is my logo. I've, I've got to do it. And then next to me is our CEO. And he looks at both of us and said, well, if you guys do it, I've got to do it too. <laughs> so the next morning I went to Joe and I'm like, were you serious about this tattoo thing? And he looks at me like I just made something up. And he's like, <laughs> it sounds like something I would have said. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, if I didn't bring this up, this never would have happened. And anyway, I'm thinking this is during the beginning phases of COVID. And I'm thinking I've got plenty of time for everybody else to forget about this. I was wrong. And on the plane on the way back, there was a, a WhatsApp group founded, which was the blank ARR tattoo. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to happen. And as the weeks go by, Joe starts sending out screenshots of where our uh, revenue number was. And then we got there faster than I expected. And then I get a picture of Joe with a tattoo on his arm. And all he put was first in the water, which meant, uh-oh, I'm next. So I had to go find a tattoo. Art. And I have no tattoos. I never wanted to have a tattoo. Right. But I had to do it. And so I get there. I get a tattoo artist. And I sit down. I actually do it. I stand up, I look in the mirror, and the only thought I had in my head was, this is at least three times bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so now there are three human beings with questionable, questionable decision-making capabilities walking the earth with an Exonius tattoo. <laughs> I love that story. And I don't know, I almost feel like the moral of the story is maybe you should have drank. <laughs> or just let it go when someone makes a comment to you right. like that. And, and right. don't say, were you serious when you said... That was probably the fatal flaw in, in my reasoning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, all right. Well, so now we've got to talk about like, what was your pathway to becoming the CMO of Axonius? And then we'll talk about Axonius as well, like in terms of what you guys do. Sure. Sure. So I don't know how far back you want to go, but this is my fifth startup. It's my third cybersecurity startup. It's my third cybersecurity startup with three guys that knew each other from the Israeli military. And in each time, <laughs> First time CEO. I guess to get back, to get into it, I started off, I actually went to school for marketing. After a year, I said, this is terrible. I hate it. Mm. I switched my major to sociology and loved that. I was going to go get my PhD, but instead decided to work for a while. I taught myself how to code and I was a web developer for a number of years. Not very good at it. I can promise you that. I would not be the best at that today. I'm glad I decided to switch paths. Some Along the way, I, I found my way back to the startup world and, and made the transition between you know, writing the code mm. to, uh, to being the marketing guy. And so in my last few roles, I, and this one was the biggest luxury where I started here at Exonius before we actually had a product. Mm. So in my marketing roles in cybersecurity, I've been fortunate enough to, to have a couple of acquisitions, one by Cisco, one by Microsoft. My last company, we only existed for a year and a half before Microsoft acquired us. And now 
At Exonius, I was the first U.S. employee. Like I said, I joined before we had a product. We now have about 650 employees worldwide. And last year, Deloitte named us the third fastest growing company in North America by revenue. So I'm on year six here and it grew faster than anything I've ever been a part of in my life. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I have to ask that you were majoring in marketing and didn't like it, switched to sociology. What was that about? What did you not like and maybe what intrigued you about sociology? Yeah, I definitely don't mean to criticize marketing or any marketing programs in particular, Mm -hmm. but back when I was in school and, and when I was in college, I remember that the big project was like designing a cereal box. And it was like, well, wait a second, you would put it the cart eye level? That's crazy. It was just like so basic and, and common sense mm, yeah, back when yeah. I was doing it. And, you know, this is in like 1997, 1998. We didn't even have laptops. Right. So, I mean, what a marketing program is today is much more quantifiable. It, it's just very different than it was then. Mm. And what I was really interested in was understanding how, how people behave and decide in groups. Mm. And so it's not that far apart. It's just right. that back then, marketing it was just very different what they taught in school. And it just seemed like I wasn't learning. And when I went to sociology and we're taking courses in statistics and and behavior and Mm -hmm. understanding other cultures and that sort of thing, that's the underlying foundation I think I needed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wasn't getting in marketing, but it's what I apply still now. That's interesting. Yeah. The reason I ask is because I was a psych major in undergrad. And I always kicked myself like, why did I not try to do a, a minor in business or something like that? I ended up going back and get my MBA later to just round it out. But it's funny that you ended up going the business route and then switching because I was a sociology minor as well. But like, I do agree with you. Like, I think they're the fundamentals of understanding people and group dynamic is the cornerstone of marketing. And frankly, co- probably the cornerstone of economic theory in general, sure. because it's all about people and how they consume and behavior, and et cetera. But that's interesting. I, I never thought about it in terms of like where marketing was when, because we're, we're not too far off in age where marketing was back then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it really is the tool set that you get versus the label you put on it. And right. to me, I really needed that tool set to be able to apply like critical thinking to the stories you tell yourself, because In everything that you do, especially in marketing, you're saying, well, my theory is this, and this is why I think people behave this way. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be able to understand where are the biases? Where can I really poke holes in this? How would I test to see if that theory is correct? And a lot of this is on like survey research and that sort of thing, which we still do today. But I wasn't getting that in business back then. And that gave me that that tool set to be able to apply it now. And I, I still do today. That's awesome. Well, you guys have seen some amazing growth. I mean, from you being the first U.S. employee to now over 650 employees globally. Let's talk about Axonius. Like, what do you guys do and what's your focus within the cybersecurity space? Yeah. So when you think about cybersecurity, you really think about the most high-tech field out there, right? It's something where you think of the hacker in the hoodie, the matrix green numbers falling from the sky, right? And you think of all this technology, which all of that is true and all of that exists. but We're trying to tackle one of the most fundamental problems in cybersecurity, and that is first knowing what you have. And it sounds like that should be easy or trivial, but when you think about it, you think of of how companies are made up today. And the bigger the company, the more people, the more people, the more devices, the more devices, the more products and solutions we have that are accessing those devices, protecting those devices, or creating data around them. And it makes it really difficult to ask simple questions and get answered. 
And I'll never forget the first call I ever had when I decided to join Exonius. I was talking to the chief information security officer of a very, very, very large company. And in my naive first day, I remember asking her, so just out of curiosity, how many devices do you have? And I thought the line went dead because it took about 40 <laughs> seconds until she started laughing at me. Like, I don't, I don't get it. What was wrong with my question? And she said, I have no idea. And if someone tells you they do, they're lying to you. Like, well, wait a second. I, I must have just asked the wrong question. So you're saying you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of devices. Yep. And you spend, what, millions, tens of millions of dollars on security? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you're spending millions of dollars to secure things that you don't know you have. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm still not understanding that something is wrong. And she's like, you don't understand. This is one of the hardest problems is just understanding what you have. All of our environments are in flux. They're dynamic. They're changing all the time. Even the definition of what an asset is, is it a device? Is it a cloud instance? Is it, you know, the IoT device that's looking at the parking lot? Just think of how many of these things there are. And you've got all these systems and tools that know about a subset, but they're all in different silos. And it makes it really hard to say, you know, how many Windows devices do I have that are missing this agent? Well, right. I can't just go to one source. It doesn't know about it. So that's really the problem that we're, we're tackling is, we want to become the system of record for all of the digital infrastructure in any company. And to do that, we have a pretty simple and novel approach, which is we're just going to connect to all the different sources that know about any type of device. We aggregate the data, we correlate it together, we show you what you have, we let you ask questions, and then we let you automate whatever action you want to take. Hmm. That's pretty cool and, and fundamental, frankly. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it's crazy to me that just the notion that unless they're using Axonius, like they, people don't know what they have. Like that, yeah, it's kind well, of mind boggling. It, it's also just really hard. Right. And I think I see this every time when we go to a big event and I hear people say, I wish I had this 10 years ago or hear them say, listen, I tried to build something like this myself, but it's just so hard to get the correlation right. And what I mean by that is if I go to one source and it tells me I have a, this is a Windows machine. I go to another, it says it's a Windows 10.x.y. Mm. I go somewhere else, it says, yes, it's those things, but it's also a virtual machine and it lives in a cloud environment and it has this IP address. So the hard part is everything describes it differently. Uh, yeah. And so if you were trying to do this on your own, staying on top of all the APIs and, and all that, it's just really, really hard. Mm -hmm. But if you're a company that decides I'm going to do this and get really good at the correlation piece and building your own taxonomy, then you can definitely do it. And I would also say it's something that you couldn't do 10 years ago because up until six, seven years ago, not everything had an API. You couldn't get to the data. So it's a combination of a bunch of things. And I think right time, right place is definitely one of them. I love it. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned the RSA conference and, and how that's like a mecca, if you will, for, for the cybersecurity industry. I'm curious what the current state of like how people are approaching marketing within the cybersecurity industry? Yeah, it's tough. You have a, a target audience that is rightfully skeptical about everything you say. <laughs> yeah, probably the most skeptical audience. I would think so. Yeah, I think so. And I, I see that as like a blessing and a curse. I think on the one hand, it means you got to be really clear about what you do and what you don't do. And I think it also means that the bar is kind of low for anyone that, that is just honest and, and shows exactly what you have and where you stop. So I think on the one hand, there's a ton of noise, there's a lot of buzzwords, but if you strip down what you do and you only sell what you're promising, it's surprising and new. Mm -hmm. So 
You know, you hear phrases like, this is one of the first products I've ever seen that does exactly what it says it does. <laughs> so as a marketer, I see that as, as something that is a huge opportunity. And, and this is really how we approach our marketing, because one of the things I've always hated, and I'm not alone here, is this idea that everyone in, in cybersecurity marketing markets and sells in FUD, in fear, uncertainty, doubt. And I've said this before, where if tomorrow there was a breach at, I don't know, name a company, right. you could go to LinkedIn and all you would see is every cybersecurity vendor saying, if you just use our product, then you would have avoided the JCPenney breach. Right, right. So the next time a breach like that happens, stick your head out a window and you'll hear the sound of a million PowerPoints updating because <laughs> every cybersecurity vendor will be out there ambulance chasing. And, and until that changes, I think there's a lot of opportunity in not being that, that company. I think there is a very fine line between doing something that you're saying there is a breach somewhere or a, a vulnerability and here's how you would fix it versus if only they would have bought our thing, they wouldn't have been a victim. And I, I don't think there's anyone out there that says, I really love buying based on fear. Right. Right. Yeah. No one likes to be put in that situation. Everyone likes to buy. They don't like to have to buy. <laughs> right. Exactly right. Yeah. That's funny. The notion that you've got the most skeptical audience, the which I 100% agree with. And the simplicity, frankly, of if your product delivers what you say it delivers, and that's what you're trying to sell, that's novel and, and unique, is kind of crazy. Because, I mean, but true, because I mean, in the software industry, there's, I think, this ongoing notion. And I think the entrepreneurial community, frankly, kind of hypes the vaporware, <laughs> if sure. you will. So it's, it's, it is novel that if you can just deliver on your promise to the market in terms of what you think your product can do, that that can be novel. And, and I would imagine inspire trust in the skeptical audience. It absolutely does. And, and I think the way that I've always approached it too is, and I've been so guilty of this in the past, and I always have to preface saying this by saying, I'm not calling anyone out but me because I've right. been there, yeah. which is I think in te technology marketing in general and cybersecurity marketing specifically, a lot of us try to just throw as many features at you as we can and just hope mm -hmm. they stick. Mm -hmm. And I've got this military grade, real time, whatever, like throw all the hype words you can at it yeah. and just think like that's going to impress someone. But unless you are mapping to a problem or an activity that someone is setting out, like an initiative that they have on their list of things they're doing this year, then it really doesn't matter. And I think the other way that I, I've put it before is that Nobody buys the shovel, they buy the hole that it digs. And right, you can have the stainless steel shovel with the red handle and back saving technology, but unless somebody's trying to dig a hole, none of that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's just a nice shovel. <laughs> yeah, it's a shovel. It sits in the garage. So what? Right. That's funny. Well, I know you mentioned this time around you got to join before there was even a product. Yeah. How does that help you? How does that help you focus, if you will? Yeah, it was the best. And so when my last company got acquired, I, I spent four months at Microsoft and in those four months, I was just trying to figure out what to do next. And I, just like any good pseudo engineer in the past, came up with my list of requirements. And my requirements were this. I wanted to find something that was solving a, a big problem that was only getting worse. And what I mean by that is my last companies were the novel technology ahead of a problem, right? It was a solution in search of a problem. So you have to do a ton of evangelism. And so that was the first thing I was saying is I wanted something that was going after a big problem that's getting worse. The second is it had to be doing it simply. Like the deployment had to be simple because if you need to put a piece of software on every device, that's just really, really hard. Right. And I had to really love the founders and, and what they were doing. And so 
that was my kind of three out of three of what I needed to be able to make the jump to something new. And so when I joined Exonius, I was the first US employee, like we said, and it's a small nuance, but it meant a world of difference, which is I was able to have conversations with people that would never pick up the phone if I had something to sell them. Mm. And I could talk to chief information security officers at, at companies that you know I had no business talking to if I was saying, I want you to buy this thing. And I was able to have conversations about how they live the problem and an approach. Mm. And that's really where I ended it, which is, okay, so I understand that it's really, really hard to get a view of, of all your devices and users and that sort of thing. But let me ask you this. Does that data exist somewhere in the company? Well, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. The network knows some of it, right? You can get an IP address and you can get a couple of other things. Yes, I can. Okay. You have endpoint agents that know a lot more information, but they're not everywhere, right? Yep. You have scanners. You have this. You have that. The totality of all those things knows what you have, correct? Yes. So if, and then this is a big if because it's hard, if something were able to tap into all those sources, grab all of that, then it could show you what you have. If it could show you what you have, you can then ask questions across all of that data. You can get answers and then decide what you want to automate. Is that right? Am I, does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Okay. So that's what we're trying to build. And I'd love to like revisit this in a year, but I was able to have these conversations and then ask them, why can't you do this now? Or what are the issues with old approaches? Or who would own this? Like they would be really open and honest and have these conversations with me because I didn't have something that I was trying to sell them right then and there. Mm -hmm. And that meant everything to me for being able to get the message right, to make it really, really simple, to understand how we do pricing and deployment and all of that. And I just couldn't have done that if I came in like I have in the past where let's build marketing after we have a product ready to sell. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, right. No, that makes sense. It reminds me of a phrase, and I, I wish I could remember who told me this because I, I repeat it all the time. But this phrase of solve, don't sell. Yeah. <laughs> You're basically trying to solve a problem and not not selling them anything, just like understanding the problem and trying to solve it. Like if we could do this, would that help? Yeah. It's basic, but just that pivot makes people lean in, right? <laughs> it does. And this is why you see any really successful veteran salesperson is someone that is great at relationships. And you're yeah. great at relationships when you're trying to understand what challenges someone has and whether you can solve them. And I think whether is the key word there, where if you can't, that doesn't mean you're going to say, I'm going to stop trying to help or provide value. The right. best of them out there are always trying to help and provide value, even if it doesn't mean anything for them. And that's when you have these long-term relationships. Other than that, it's transactional. And I have very few transactional friends. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Because I think historically, I, I don't know, at times I think people have like looked down on the relationship approach, if you will, of, of selling. But to your point, like no one wants to interact with the transactional person. You don't want to be friends with that person. Yeah. Like it's just not fun. No. And but relationships last beyond the product that you're selling today, beyond the solution you're selling today. They last forever if they're built right. And to your point, in a helpful way. Yep. Interesting. Well, uh, how are you? So you're able to kind of crack the approach and, and understand the problem and the pain. How are you taking a different approach with your marketing? By doing the opposite. <laughs> so I guess what I mean by that is when, when I look at a lot of cybersecurity marketing, and I mentioned this a little bit before, but it's a lot of military grade and you know showing the hacker in the, in the hoodie and, and just talking about zero trust, whatever. And so every time I see that, I have the, I guess I'm like a contrarian in some ways in that I always try to run the exact opposite direction. And I guess I'll, I'll give the example of the work we're doing with, with Simone Biles and Amy Bream. So when we first started the company, we thought that this was going to be an enterprise sale, right? The more, the bigger the company, more people, more devices, the more the pain. And that's true. But we started to see that commercial deals, and that's, you know, we have enterprise and, and commercial these smaller deals would come in in a quarter and close in the same quarter with no discount. And we're yeah. saying, well, that's, that's where growth is going to be. Now, if you're doing an enterprise-only sale, you don't need to spend a lot of effort on brand. If you can get your number by selling to six people in your sales rep's Rolodex, you don't need to build a brand that everybody knows. It's, it's fine not to. But right. if you're going to go after bigger numbers, people have to know who you are. And so about a year, actually, I think it was two years into selling, we did our first aided recall survey. And the idea there is you put out a survey to your target audience and you say, out of these seven vendors, which of them has a cybersecurity product or, or something along that effect? And right. you actually put the names there. So our first aided recall survey, we were at 9%. And <laughs> I thought that was about right for where we were. Right. right. But it, it really highlighted the fact that if we want to sell to bigger numbers, then it won't work to have 91% of your audience not know your name. Right. So we had to change that. And you can't just go down to the, the brand awareness store and say, let me just buy 20 brand awarenesses. Right. So we had to figure out what to do there. And what I wanted to do is tell this story. And the first thing we had to do is boil down, like, what is the actual message that we're trying to sell? What is the value that we give our customers in like two words? And those two words were controlling complexity. And the idea is, complexity is inevitable, right? It's the second law of thermodynamics. Over time, everything gets more complicated and, and more complex. Mm -hmm. And really, that's what we're seeing in our customers' environments, but also the parallel in life, right? And so I kept trying to, to think, who out there embodies this idea of, of overcoming adversity and, and controlling complexity? And I asked everyone I could possibly talk to and got a bunch of different answers. And my example was always Simone Biles. Mm. You know, she grew up a foster kid. She's one of the most decorated Olympians of all time. What happened during the, the Tokyo Olympics and on and on and on. Right. Uh, she's just like that really great example. She won the Presidential Medal of Freedom this year. <laughs> sorry, last year. Yeah. And she was my example. And then I thought, well, there's no way we're going to ever get Simone Biles to a, a no-name cybersecurity company. But then I said, why don't we just try? And right. so we created a video explaining why we wanted to work with her and why she should do it. And then she said, yes. And we were like the dog that caught the car. We're like, uh-oh, now what do we do? <laughs> so we had to find an agency and we had to, to figure out what to do with it. 
Right. We created this campaign that has been nominated for a bunch of awards, and it really, I think, is the best work we've ever done. I encourage anybody to check it out on our site. And we did a couple of videos. I'm actually meeting with her this week in Washington, D.C. for our federal forum. And then in May, we're going to film the last one for this year. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm telling you this is that the, the, a year after we did that first aided recall survey, we did it again. And I will tell you that my guess, my stretch goal was to go to like 9 to 12, maybe 15% mm-hmm. in one year. In one year after doing it, we went from 9 to 20. Wow. And then six months after that, we got to 27. I've never heard of a B2B software company or a cybersecurity company getting numbers like that. Right. And I think it just, it proves that it works. I think it proves that one of the things that we miss as an industry is that although the technology is really important, there's humans behind the keyboard. And it allowed us to tell real human stories about fundamentals and foundation, about adaptation and about growth that I just don't see out there. And it made it so that it really stood out. And mm. I think it made us stand apart from the crowd and made people say, I don't, wait a second, what is this? Let, let me learn a little bit more. Right. And I think by showcasing human beings, by telling their stories, we were able to tell our story in a way that no one else out there had, had been doing it. And I think in that case, being the contrarian, it actually worked really well for us. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I mean, uh, over the what it, a year and a half, 3x your aided awareness numbers with yeah. this campaign. That's, yeah. That. I've, maybe there's companies out there that have done it. I've never seen it. And it's just, I'm blown away by it. And I'm incredibly proud of my team for the work that they've done on this. And it's just, it's a career highlight watching what we've done with them. And there's a charitable component to it as well. And we were able to donate $50,000 to Friends of the Children, which provides professional mentors to kids in foster care. And to uh, Amy Brames, one of the kids that she mentors who was born with the same birth defect as mm-hmm. her. And so we were able to, to help some people along the way while producing work that uh, I'm incredibly proud of. No, that's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I, it's, you actually sent me the link to the campaign before and I was watching the video in particular. Yeah. And it is it is kind of gut wrenching. Right? <laughs> like like I, I teared up and Oh yeah. It's a very emotional component. Like do you think I mean, other than the fact no one else is marketing this way in your industry, do you think that the emotional tug or emotional appeal is like the an accelerator on top of that? I'm just curious how you think about it. Yeah, I don't know if it's an accelerator, but it is it is definitely something that sticks with you. And I think yeah. when I this is definitely an oversimplification, but I think when you're talking about any software company, any cybersecurity company, any, any like B2B brand, there's only three things that you have. And I think you've got problem solved, you've got net new capabilities, and you have emotional ties. Because mm-hmm. we are not just rational robots. We're just not. And the way that I've put it before is I think that brand is the only thing that creates a rational value. Mm-hmm. Where when you think of any brand out there, and then you look at the cost of the good, and then you look at the price you're paying, and then you subtract one from the other, the difference is brand. And so it might accelerate it, but it definitely will it'll stay with you, right? That video that you saw, you're going to remember it. And what we do when we highlight the people behind the keyboards, that's something that will resonate with you, whether it'll move the deal faster or it'll make you consider us when you have the need. I think that's really where it comes into play. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, con- 
kudos on all the success that you and the, the team are have driven and the company overall. I mean, it, the growth that you've seen is is pretty phenomenal. And, you know, marketing is playing a huge role in helping to, to aid in that growth, it sounds like. So kudos. Yeah, I appreciate it. Every Every year or so, I end up saying like, would you, if you went to yourself three years ago and said you'd be doing, you'd be on stage with the director of, of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and Simone Biles in Washington, D.C. on Thursday, what, what would you think? Um, would you think <laughs> that's possible? And every time I, I ask those questions, the answer is always no, there's no way. <laughs> and so I, I kind of judge year by year success on, is there a stage where I would have looked back at myself three, four, five years ago and believed that? And every year I say no. And I think that that means I'm going the right direction. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, one of the things we like to do on the show is, is get to know you a little bit better. We know that you have a tattoo somewhere. We won't yeah. ask you where. Right on. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right. A safe place. Safe yeah, place. All exactly. Right. Good. Good. But, uh, my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on the show is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, there is. A few years ago, I was at a company and I was, I was running marketing and I had a CEO that came in and put something in front of me and it was a bunch of data that would allow us to target our potential customers mm. and wanted me to use this and just put it in our CRM and, and start going after these people. And I knew that the way that this data was obtained wasn't right. It was taken from a place without permission. It was without the, the permission of the end user. It had a lot of data that shouldn't have been in my hands. And I said, no, that did not, that was, I would call it a career limiting move at that point. Yeah. But I wasn't willing to compromise. And I think a lot of what we do in building our teams and trying to get people to trust us is based on integrity. And so you know, I think that has always stuck with me because I, I could have made the easy choice. It might have been an easier and quicker win, but I didn't. And I think if you're expecting a lot of integrity to other people that, that work with you or work for you, the only way you can do that is by demonstrating it yourself. And that was definitely a hard one. And I think a lot of people face those in their career. And it definitely defines you, but it also changes the way you think about what you ask of everyone else. Yeah, no, it makes, makes a lot of sense. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? That one's easy. <laughs> Ask for help. So one of the things that I, I have found throughout my career is if I have a question about something or want to learn more and I just can't do it through a Google search and you reach out and ask someone, can I get 30 minutes with you? Or you did this thing that I want to learn how to do. Mm. Asking people to get on a 30 minute Zoom, they're more than willing to do it. I do it all the time. And I always say that to everyone it's amazing what you can accomplish if you ask someone else for help, <laughs> yeah. but very few people do it. Yeah. It has always, always, always worked for me. And I think just reaching out to people and saying, how did you do this? Or I want to do what you did. Can you tell me where I'm going to run into problems? Like where's, show me the icebergs. Where right. can I learn from what you, the traps you fell into? People are always willing to talk about that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And, and people generally, I mean, occasionally you'll run into a, oddball that's not willing to help but most like human nature i think is to be helpful yeah for the most part and so it's funny that we don't ask for help more because most people are willing to give you help <laughs> yeah i don't know where that comes in in our growth of like at what point do we say it's it's an ego hit if i ask someone else for help i don't know where that is because i'd love to find out where that is and, and somehow reverse it because you know yeah. my daughter's eight 
Yeah. She has absolute unflinching confidence in everything, <laughs> which is, it's awesome. I love to see that. And I'm always looking out for that to be like, where is it in our growth and in our learning where we start to think that asking for help is a problem and, and it makes us look less than, and I, I haven't seen it yet, right. but I'm always kind of on the lookout because it happens to all of us. Yeah. No, I know. I know. It's funny. My daughter, who's 15 now, she she sounds familiar to your, or similar to your daughter in her extreme confidence in everything that she does. Yeah. But she was one of those kids. I don't know if your daughter is like this. Like she took a little longer to walk because, and many other things, because she's trying to master it before she actually does it. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. So my daughter's the opposite and that she starts a new sport by trash talking before she knows how to do any of it. <laughs> I'm like, you might want to learn how to do this before you start telling me you're going to beat me in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I mean, it is kind of like innate to, I don't, maybe it's that we, through our physical development, somehow we get this blocker that we, we just can do this. Yeah. We can do this on our own kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. I'll let you know if I identify it, but I'm always on the lookout. <laughs> well, um, is there a topic that you think marketers need to be learning more about or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the super easy answer is all the AI stuff, but I take it from the other end where mm. I think, you know, if you go on any social right now, it's here's how marketers are using AI to do whatever. And usually it's like content. And I think to me... And again, this could very well be an old man saying, stay off my lawn. <laughs> I understand that before I even say it. But I think what AI means right now for marketing is that there's going to be more spam on an unprecedented level of book report content. And what I mean by book report content is just no insight. Here's the definition of a term. And I think you're going to see that everywhere, which to me means having really nuanced, insightful content that lets people learn something is going to let you stand out because we're just going to see so much copy paste. Everything is the same. Everything's like a Wikipedia article and approaching your target audience as if they don't know what they're talking about. So having something that, that allows you to capitalize on what they do know and understand topics that they actually care about, mm-hmm. I think is going to be really necessary because all of the other stuff is, is just going to be automated and you'll be able to see it and tell. But I think it's going to have a lasting effect on the SEO game. You can't mm-hmm. just put out a bunch of written content, long form, um, build pillar pages. Like I think that day is over. To me, nuance, connection, talking in the customer voice and actually having your customer be your advocate and actually talk about how they solve their problems. That's right. going to be the only way to win because you're not going to stand out by just having the same content as everyone else. Right, right. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it it's a little bit funny to me. I had a, another guest on the show and and he talked about the use of AI, not for what you're describing, but in terms of helping to do things that humans have a hard time doing. Yeah. Like we write content all day long, but like being able to crunch all the data that's available on a certain topic and then answer my question, that's hard yeah. Like for a human to do. And maybe that's the best application for AI in the short term and keep humans doing what they do best, which is telling great stories to other humans. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. I think one of the things that has been really hard and still somebody's going to take me up on this and make this t-shirt and uh, we'll do this together and we can give the money to charity and shout out (laughs) Kelly Whelan for coming up with this. But she came up with the idea of attribution as a four letter word. (laughs) 
I mean, yeah. I would buy that t-shirt, hoodie, and mug and send it to all my friends. But that's, I think that's one of those things that is absolutely something that is a great case for AI because it's something that's repeatable, but also finding insights in large data sets is something yeah. we're just not very good at as people. Mm-hmm. And there's just too much nuance into it. But I think that's one of those things where the right model and the right ability to say, well, I only want to put 20% toward this or 15% to this if and only if this, like a bunch of conditionals. I mean, sounds like yeah. machine stuff to me. Right. And I would love to be able to offload some of that so that you know you don't have human power working on things that the machine models will always do better than us so we can do the other stuff better than them. Yeah, very cool. Well, on a personal level, are there brands, companies, or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, so my example, and this is probably because of my unreasonable love for the color orange. <laughs> the two brands that I always really love, Peloton's my favorite one. And the reason is, it's a bike. It's a bike with an Android screen. Right. Like That's it. But that's not it, right? Right. They figured out the human piece of it. They figured out the community stuff. They figured out the understanding like how music plays into it. They understand that these aren't all people that are looking to break a personal record. And, and sometimes it's just you want to have something to do to escape your job or your family or your whatever. Like They understand that the reason people are doing it is more important than the actual hardware of the bike or, or the touchscreen. Right. And I think they've done a great job of, of that. I mean, the, you can say what you want about their business model or, or where they are now or right. the logistics right. piece, of course. But I think on the brand side, they've done a, just an incredible job on something that you're just saying, well, wait a second, it's an expensive exercise bike that's just going to be a coat rack? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that's funny. That's a good one. I like that example too. And I, I love the rationale around the, it is physically just a bike with a screen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's so much more than that. It is. And and the different instructors for different times, like mm-hmm. you can do it live or you can do it. I mean, now I think they're back to in-person. It used to be that every time I'd go to New York, I'd do a 5 a.m. class there because yeah, it's just, it's a different experience. And that's, I think that's the right word to say what they've done well is they understand experience. Yeah, no, I, I, it's true. It's very true. Well, last question for you. It may be something we already covered. I'm not sure. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Yeah, we probably covered it, which is the, I think the opportunity is being unique. The opportunity is standing out when the world is trying to just be more copy paste and and repeat. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, there's also, and there will always be opportunity in just being really honest about what you can do and what you can't do. One of my favorite things is when you get on a demo or you're, doing a customer call and they ask you something and said, well, can you do this? And you say, no. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, everybody always says yes to me, but you're saying you don't do that. No, we don't do that. There's like a lot of other companies that are really good at that. Hmm. We don't do that. We kind of stop here. I think that means a lot to the people listening that you're not everything to everyone. Right. But there's just so much in honesty that we respond to as human beings and it gives you trust. It, it shows that you're not just trying to, to sell them anything. And so, yeah, I think in a world where we're trying to make everything automated and just trying to look like everyone else, doing the opposite, being really unique, honest, and, and above all else, human, that mm-hmm. is the opportunity. Very cool. Well, I think we just leave it there. Nate, right. it's been phenomenal for you to come on the show and have this conversation. Super fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate it. Thanks. This is a fun conversation. Hi, it's Alan again. 
Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 